I think we all know what it feels like at times to be facing a challenge, to be facing something that is just too big for you to do on your own. I think we're all aware of what it feels like to, to face a challenge, to face a mission or a task, to have something in front of us that we just simply can't do on our own. That if there is any chance that we are going to succeed at all, that we are going to need help from someone else. We're going to need help from outside of us. Just wonder, what is that situation for you right now? Where do you feel aware of your need for help? Is it perhaps a, a relational struggle, whether it's a, a struggle with, with, with a friend or with a family member? Maybe in your work life, you're just facing a very challenging situation. Perhaps the finances seem impossible. You are just battling health issue after health issue after health issue. Maybe there's just a desire in your life where you, there, there's an area of your life where you desire to change. Have you, been, have you ever been in that situation where you feel like, I want this to happen, I want these things to change. If I'm ever going to be able to do this, I'm going to need help. Well, I think for, for most of us here, situations come to mind. And, and whatever the situation is for us this morning, whatever it might be, as we come to our passage this morning, the disciples can relate with you. The disciples are in the same boat as you, very aware of their need for help. So the disciples here, as Acts chapter 2 opens up, Jesus has given them this mission. He's given them this mission to make and grow disciples of all nations. And then he tells them that he's going to be leaving them. This mission that perhaps already seemed hard enough on its own, hard enough with Jesus there, I'm sure hearing that Jesus is going to be leaving, it almost seems or feels like mission impossible. Feels that there is no way that they're going to be able to do this on their own. That if they're going to succeed, they are going to need help. And the encouragement as we turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 2 this morning is that God knows that. God knows that they are going to need help to carry out this mission that he has given them. And he is all too eager to provide all of the help that they need. He is very eager to provide the helper that they most need. But what we see in Acts 2 is that he doesn't just send the disciples the help that they need, but he also sends you and me the help that we most need in our lives today. And he does this on what we call the day of Pentecost. And so this, this morning, to better understand what's happening here, to better understand the help that Jesus sends us, we're going to see two things. First, I want us to see what happened on the day of Pentecost. And secondly, I want us to see why does it matter? Why did it matter then? And why does it still matter for you and me this morning? So our sermon this morning is going to have two movements. We're going to see what happened and why does it matter? So first, let us see what happened on the day of Pentecost. As we look at our passage here this morning, we're going to see the day of Pentecost unfold in three scenes. The first scene we see is in verses 1 through 4, where we see the sending of the Holy Spirit. Starting in verse 1, Luke writes, When the day of Pentecost arrived, Pentecost was one of three annual feasts where Jews from all over the world would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate the completion of the grain harvest and to bring their offerings to the temple. 
It's called Pentecost because, as Scott helped us see earlier, is it happened 50 days after the Passover, and Pentecost just comes from the Latin word meaning 50th. And so on Pentecost, we see on this day where, where Jews from all over the world would gather in Jerusalem, we see that the disciples were all gathered in one place. You see that there in verse 1 where it says, they were all gathered in one place. Here the they is referring to the 120 disciples, the women and the men who had trusted in Jesus and who were following him. We don't know what they were doing at the time as they gathered in this upper room, but whatever it was, they were unexpectedly interrupted. As we read in verse 2, that suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. I mean, can you imagine what this would have been like to be together gathered with 120 of your other friends, followers of Jesus? You are going about your day, and then suddenly you become surrounded by this sound that sounds like you're in the middle of this windstorm. As Luke continues, we see that there was more going on than just this sound because you're not just hearing something, but you begin to see something. Luke tells us in verse 3 that they saw divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one. At this point, I wonder if they're, I wonder if they're all beginning to question whatever it was that Peter made them for breakfast this morning. I wonder if they're thinking, what in the world is going on? Did I eat something bad? I'm hearing things. I'm seeing things. What in the world is going on? But what they've heard and what they saw was nothing compared to what happens next. Look in verse 4, we read, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they're speaking in other languages that they have never learned before. What's going on here? Well, as we read in verse 4, this, this wasn't the result of some bad fish that Peter cooked up or something like that. But something much more profound is happening in this upper room. As the 120 disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, here we see a world-changing event taking place as the Holy Spirit is sent to fill all of God's people. Looking back, we can now make sense of the sound of the wind and the image of the fire. These make sense as we see that in the Old Testament, these symbolisms of wind and fire are common images that are used to represent God's presence. We see this, this all throughout the Old Testament, wind and fire representing God's presence with his people. And here in the, in the upper room, this is exactly what the disciples are experiencing as these tongues that appear as a fire come and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. They are filled as God is personally present with each and every one of his disciples that morning. This is the, the sending of the Spirit that we see in verses 1 through 4, which leads to our second scene that we see in verses 5 through 13, where we see the confusion of the crowds. Picking up the story, we read in verse 6 that at the sound, at the sound of the, of the wind or at the sound of the 120 people speaking in different languages, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. They were, they were confused. <laughs> Verses, verse 7 says that, that the crowds were amazed and astonished. 
hearing all these people speaking in languages that they, they didn't know, that the speakers didn't know, but they could hear, they were amazed, they were, they were confused, and they were in wonder at what was going on. We see that Luke repeats that in verses 6 and verses 8. He wants us to, to see this, this amazement, this bewilderment that the people felt. They were amazed and astonished at the fact that they were hearing these disciples, these supposedly uneducated Galileans, speaking in their native language, speaking in the language of their birth, the language of home. As Luke shows us in verses 9 through 11, as Lindsay did a, much, did a very good job reading off all of those nations, I'm not going to attempt to do so. We said in Jerusalem on that day, there were those from every, na every nation, language, tribe, and people known to the disciples. There are people from all over the known world gathered in Jerusalem. It would have looked like a meeting of the United Nations and here they are, gathered together, Jews from all over the world, hearing the gospel spoken in their own language, no translator required. The end of verse 11, we discover what they're seeing. We see that the disciples here are declaring the mighty works of God. You see that there? It wasn't some incoherent babbling that the 120 disciples were speaking, but they were declaring very clearly the mighty works of God. They are preaching the good news of what Jesus has done in his life, death, and resurrection for all who turn to Jesus and trust in him. They are preaching the gospel and all that it means for everyone hearing. And in verses 12 and 13, we see that the confusion of the crowd come into clear focus as we see two very different responses from those hearing the gospel proclaimed. First, we see that some are amazed and perplexed, and they ask, what does this mean? They, they want to know more. They are eager to know more. But gathered amongst this crowd that has come, there are others who are mocking, saying that the, the disciples, this gathering of 120 disciples, they must be drunk. Well, we're not left wondering what exactly is going on here because as, our, as the verses, as the scene shifts, we see that Peter gives the explanation of the event. We've seen the spirit come. We've seen the response of the crowd. And now here, starting in verse 14, Peter wants to set the record straight by showing us what is actually going on here. Starting in verse 14, we read, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea, that's people of Judea, it's including the, the women and the men who are all gathered together. It says, in all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people, it's the 120, they are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Peter's saying, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Do you really think that these, all these people are drunk? He's saying that's not what's happening at all. And starting in verse 16, he tells us what's going on. He says, but this, what's happening here, is a fulfillment of what was uttered through the prophet Joel, where he says, and in the, and in the last days, it shall be, God declares, 
that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Here we see what has been going on. Nothing that's taken place this morning from the sending of the spirit, the wind and the fire, the speaking in tongues, none of that has happened by accident. But it has all been a part of God's plan. Quoting the Old Testament prophet Joel, Peter shows how the sending of the Holy Spirit was a fulfillment of the promise that God had made hundreds of years before to his people. The promise that in the last days, he would send his Spirit on all flesh. What, was, what we see happening here in Acts 2 is not an accident, but it is a fulfillment of God's promise to his people as he sends the helper that they so desperately need. We see here in verse, seven, in verse 16 that he says that this will happen in the last days. This phrase here, the last days, is, is an important one for us as it shows us that in the sending of the Holy Spirit, we have decisively entered into the last days. That's the, the final phase of salvation history. In the coming of Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, and in the sending of the Spirit, we have entered into a new era of salvation history, the time when the age to come overlaps with this present age. Here, by speaking of the last days, Peter is showing us that we're living in this already and not yet tension, that God's kingdom is already here. Jesus has already come. The spirit has been poured out, empowering and filling his people. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is here, but it has not yet come in its fullness. We're in the already, but the not yet, because we are a people who are looking forward to Christ's second advent, his second coming, where he brings the kingdom of heaven here to earth, and everything is as it should be. In this way, as Peter is, is quoting the prophet Joel, we can kind of think of the sending of the Holy Spirit as kind of like the shooting of the, starting, of the starter's pistol at the beginning of a race. The last days have begun, but the race is still going on. And one day when Christ returns, this age of the last days will be over. And it's in these last days that the Spirit is poured out and it's in these last days, Peter's telling us, that the Spirit is poured out. And it's kind of uh, unfortunate here, our translations, they say it is poured out, but that's really just, it's really an understatement of what's going on here. Because the imagery that Peter has in mind, the imagery that would have come into the mind of everyone hearing this sermon from Peter would have been images of a torrential downpour. This isn't, this isn't a drizzle. This isn't a little sprinkling. It's not like something's being poured out of a cup, but the image here is of a heavy tropical storm of the spirit being sent out in power. Here we see that Jesus or that Jesus is sending out his spirit. He's pouring out his spirit. He is generously giving his spirit to his people. This is not a stingy God just giving a little bit of his spirit, but this is God pouring out his spirit on his people, filling us. And one of the amazing things about this new covenant age of the Spirit, about this giving of the Spirit in the last days, 
is that no longer is the Spirit going to be sent out only and fill only the leaders of the people of God, but the Spirit is going to fill all flesh. You see, as we look at salvation history, as we look up to this point before Acts chapter 2, the Spirit was alive and at work in many, many different ways. But as we look at our Old Testament, we see that the Spirit's work is uniquely focused on the leaders of the nation of Israel. It's the, the prophets, the priests, and the kings who are filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the normal, average, everyday Israelite was not filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. That was reserved for the leaders, those who were representing God to the people. But here in this new covenant era, we see that the Holy Spirit is given to all. And Peter doesn't want us to miss this. In quoting Joel, we see three pairs. He wants us to see very clearly that no one is excluded from the pouring out from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you look in, in verses 17 and 18, we see, we see Peter talking about your sons and your daughters, the young men and the old men, my male slaves and my female slaves. There is, there is no one who is left out. There is no one who is excluded from receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit. In this new covenant age, in the, the age of Pentecost and the sending of the Spirit, all who repent, all who turn to Christ and who trust in him are filled with the Spirit. If you are here this morning and you've trusted in Christ, son or daughter, young men, old men, males, I guess we don't have slaves today, but it doesn't matter. All are filled with the Holy Spirit. This should just encourage your hearts that if you are here this morning and you've trusted in Christ, you are one who has been indwelt and who is filled with the Spirit. You have the Spirit of God living in you right now. That's what's significant about the day of Pentecost. It is the sending of his spirit. It is the breaking in of the last days where God, the Holy Spirit, fills his people. And so now we need to ask why. Why is this significant? What is important? Why does it matter? Well, I think as we turn to the book of Acts, as we see what begins to happen in the rest of the book of Acts, we see that the sending of the Spirit was, ascent, was absolutely essential because it was only through the sending of the Spirit, it was only through the empowering work of the Spirit that these disciples, that the church would be able to fulfill God's mission that he had given to his church, this mission of making and growing disciples. In the beginning, we opened up with looking at a situation that we know we can't do on our own. For the disciples, the mission, they were very aware that they had been given, that they could not accomplish on their own, was this mission of going into all the nations and preaching the gospel. They could not do it on their own. They needed the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. And the same is true for you and I this morning. We see that it is because of Pentecost that the Spirit is able to empower us for our gospel-centered mission of making and growing disciples. 
what I want to do in the rest of our time here this morning is just see and unpack how the Spirit empowers us to make disciples and empowers us to grow disciples. I want to see how the Spirit did this in Acts chapter 2 and how the Spirit is able to do this for each and every one of us. Because the reality is we can't do this on our own, but we need the Holy Spirit's help to accomplish the mission that he has given to us as a church and as individual Christians. So first we see that the Holy Spirit empowers us to make disciples. Making disciples is God's plan for the world. He is redeeming a people from every nation, language, people group, and tribe to worship Jesus. This was the, the purpose of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. This was the reason that he came, was to bring salvation to all those who trust in him, to restore them to a right relationship with him. And the amazing thing is, is when we look at the Gospels, when we look at Acts, the amazing thing is, is that he has chosen the church. He has chosen you and I to be the means that he uses to accomplish this task. Jesus could have very easily decided that he was just going to send his spirit into everyone and preach the gospel to them on his own, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he chooses his church and he gives them this task of going into all the nations to make disciples. And as he does this, he sends them the Holy Spirit to empower them for this task. We see the, the connection between the spirit of God and our mission in Acts chapter 1, if you flip a page back, or maybe it's on the same page in your, in your Bibles there. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus makes this connection between the power of his spirit and our mission very clearly, where he tells the disciples. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Here, Jesus commands them to wait for the promised Holy Spirit because they desperately needed his power if their witness was going to be effective. They, they were dependent upon him. If, if the disciples had, had attempted to go out in their own strength, nothing would have happened at all. The disciples would have... Would have been, it would have been just as, just as help or just as pointless for the disciples to go out and try to make disciples on their own as it would have been for them to try flying by simply flapping their arms. It would have been impossible. And Jesus wants them to see that this task he's given them of making disciples is impossible apart from his empowering spirits. And so aware of their need, aware of their dependence, they wait and on the day of Pentecost, they receive power from God as they are filled with the Spirit. And we see immediately what the results are. The results are that they are filled with the Spirit and they begin proclaiming the mighty works of God. We saw that in verse 11. Filled with the Spirit, they begin to share the good news of what God has done in Jesus. How his life, death, and resurrection changes everything. I think for you and I, as we think about the Spirit empowering us for our mission, I think it is, it is essential that we see that just like the disciples, we are dependent upon this empowering work of the Spirit for us to have any success in our mission. 
And I think seeing the disciples as they declare the mighty acts of God, I think that that helpfully simplifies our mission. Sometimes when I think about this task of making disciples, when we think about the task of evangelism, it is, it is very easy to overcomplicate it. It's very, very easy to think that you have to, to attend classes, you have to receive advanced training, you have, to go to, you have to go to Bible college, you have to go to seminary to be able to witness effectively. But here we see that empowered by the Holy Spirit, none of that is necessary. All we need is to be filled with the Spirit and to go into the world proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the mighty deeds that God has done for us. We see that the Spirit here empowers us to tell others what God has done for us. It's the Spirit who empowers us to share with others the grace and the mercy that we've seen, to share with others how he has forgiven our sins, to share with others how he has restored us to a relationship with love, to a relationship of love with him, and how through his spirit, he is presently helping us, comforting us, and encouraging us. Here in Acts 2, we see, we see the immediate effect of the spirit's empowering work as the Spirit empowers the 120 disciples to proclaim the mighty acts of God, as the Spirit empowers Peter to preach the gospel, we see that on this very day, the Spirit of God brings conviction of sin and gives the gift of repentance and faith to over 3,000 people that day. And this is just the beginning. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out, when, when the Holy Spirit, when the torrential downpour of the Holy Spirit fills his people and fills his church, we see that the Spirit is at work to save others. If you want to be encouraged and envisioned for the Spirit's empowering work of making disciples, I would just encourage you when you get home to start reading in Acts chapter 2 and just keep reading on through. Earlier this week as I was working on this sermon, I was just wanted to read through the, the first couple chapters of Acts, Acts 1 and 2, kind of get what the context was. And, and as I just kept reading, and I, and I started reading, seeing the, the empowering work of the Spirit here, I was just encouraged to keep reading, and I kept reading, and I kept going chapter after chapter chapter so encouraged and so envisioned for what the Spirit can do as he empowers his people. Finally, after, after the conversion of Cornelius in chapter 11, I just had to stop and I was like, I got to start working on this sermon. I can't just keep reading the book of Acts. But if you want to be encouraged for the empowering work of the Spirit and what he's doing, read Acts. Your heart will be encouraged in the same way that he empowered those early Christians to make disciples, he wants to do the same thing for each and every one of us this morning. The Holy Spirit wants to fill us and empower us to go about our lives making disciples. As we think about our need for the Holy Spirit, as we think about, as we think about what this might look like to receive this power, this empowering work of the Holy Spirit, I think one of the, the as I'm thinking about how we can grow in seeing our dependence upon the Holy Spirit to make disciples, I think one of the best ways that we can do this, and one of the ways I was most convicted of it this last week, was just the encouragement to pray. I think as we, as we desire to be those who are empowered by the Spirit to make disciples, I think the Spirit, is, the Spirit increases our confidence and He empowers us all the more as we pray to him, declaring our dependence upon him. 
This week, I was just freshly encouraged and reminded by all of the biblical prayers that we can pray to grow in our dependence upon the Holy Spirit in, in, in making disciples. I think of, of Colossians 4, where we can pray for opportunities and for clarity to share the gospel. I've just been helped by the simplicity of the, of the one life thing that we have just been trying to weave into, the, into our church here, of who is that one life, who is that one person that you are seeking to reach out to. And in my own life, as I think about a friend that I, I meet with a couple times a week, I've just been praying all the more for the Lord to give me opportunities to share the gospel with him and for clarity to share the gospel. I think Colossians 4 helps us in that way. Think in Acts 4 and Ephesians 4, pray for confidence and pray for boldness. And then when opportunities arise, um, pray that the Spirit would help you to, to boldly give you the words to speak. Perhaps, perhaps for you, a helpful prayer is in Matthew 9, that we would have God's heart for the lost, that we would be like Jesus and have compassion on those who don't know him, those who are sheep without a shepherd, those who are helpless and without hope in the world. There are many ways that we can pray, and as we pray, we will be, we will be opening ourselves up to the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to make disciples. So as we do, as I just want to encourage you as we see that the Holy Spirit has fallen on us, the Holy Spirit has filled us, and he is desiring to empower us to make disciples. So this morning, I would just encourage you to, to see your need for the Holy Spirit and to re remember God's generosity in giving the Spirit to us that we might make disciples. And we see also that the Holy Spirit does not just empower us to make disciples, but he also empowers us to grow as disciples here. As Acts 2 is, we see in Acts 2 that Acts 2 is primarily concerned with showing us how the Spirit empowers the disciples to make disciples. But this isn't all that the Holy Spirit does. He also empowers us to grow as disciples, to become more and more like Jesus. At the end of Acts chapter 2, we see this vision of this spirit-empowered community in verses 42 to 47 of Acts. And that's just a slight glimpse of the, how the spirit fills us and empowers us to grow as disciples. But as we think about the work of the spirit helping us and empowering us to grow as disciples, I think 2 Corinthians 3 is a helpful paradigm for us to think of where in 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul tells us that it is the Spirit of God who transforms us into the image of Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit has filled us and empowers us to change by empowering us to be transformed into the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. And I think this is just such encouraging and great news because apart from the Spirit, we would have absolutely no hope for change. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we would be left to ourselves. But thanks be to God that on Pentecost, when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to empower his church, he has filled us and empowered us to grow as disciples, as the Spirit who lives inside of us gives us power to change, power 
to grow. And there are many ways that the Spirit does this, helps us to become more like Jesus. But I just want to highlight one way that the Spirit does this, perhaps the most important way that the Spirit does this. And here I'm, inde I'm indebted to Dane Ortland in his excellent books, Gentle and Lowly, and, and the book Deeper, as these books have been very helpful to me in helping me grow in my awareness of how the Holy Spirit empowers us to grow as disciples. And if we think about how the Holy Spirit does that, I think he primarily does that by causing us to actually feel Christ's heart for us. I'm gonna say that again here. The Holy Spirit empowers us to grow as disciples, to become more like Jesus by causing us to actually feel Christ's heart for us. I mean, this is exactly what Tab prayed earlier when he highlighted and drew our attention to Romans chapter 5, where it is the Holy Spirit who pours God's love into our heart. Here we see that the Holy Spirit empowers us to change by helping us to feel Christ's heart for us. Not just to be something that we would check off on a box, not something that is theoretical for us, but it is the Holy Spirit who helps us to, to feel and to enjoy Christ's heart of love for us. It helps us feel Christ's settled and unflappable heart of affection for sinners and sufferers like you and me. That is what the Holy Spirit does, and that is how he enables us to change. Because if you are anything like me, we only ever change when we know that we don't have to be, we don't have to change to be loved. It is God's Spirit pouring God's heart, in, pouring God's love into our heart that enables us to change because it's the Holy Spirit that reminds us that we don't have to change to earn God's love. Instead, from this settled posture of being objects of God's love, we are freed to grow and to respond in love and to, and to grow in obeying his word. It is the, the Spirit who helps us see Christ's love for us to see what it actually is. That is how the Holy Spirit empowers us to change. He empowers us to change by showing us Christ's love for us. Dane Ortland summarizes the role of the Holy Spirit in his book, Deeper, by saying that the Spirit's role is to turn our postcard apprehensions of Christ's great heart of longing affection for us into an experience of sitting on the beach in a lawn chair, drink in hand, actually enjoying the experience. You get what, what Dane Ortland's highlighting there? It's the Spirit of God who takes the idea of God's love for us from being this abstract picture on a postcard to making it very real in each of our lives where we can feel his love for us, where we can experience and, his, and enjoy his love for us just as if that picture of a sunset on the beach, almost as if we were sitting there. That is what the Spirit does for us. And it's from this posture of knowing his love for us that we are empowered and freed to change. So this morning, as you think of perhaps an area of your life where you 
where you just are very aware of, of a desire to grow, a desire to be conformed into the image of God, I would just encourage you to look to the Spirit, to declare your dependence on the Holy Spirit, and to look to Him for His empowering work in your life to help you grow by pointing you once again to Christ's love for you, that from this settled posture of His love, you can take those baby steps towards love and change. And to see that the spirit who is inside of you, empowering you for change, is also filled and empowering those around you to help you. And so I would just encourage you to see your need for the spirit and to see your need for the help of others filled with the spirit that you might grow and be conformed into the image of Christ. So as we think about the Holy Spirit's empowering work, empowering us to change, I think the Spirit helps us do that by fixing our eyes on Jesus, by helping us to see his love and acceptance for us that enables us to change. And as we close this morning in thinking about this empowering work of the Holy Spirit, we are going to do just what the Holy Spirit desires us to do, encourages us to do, and that is to fix our gaze on Christ as we take the Lord's Supper together, so as the, as the ushers prepare to serve the Lord's Supper, as the band prepares to get ready to, get ready to serve the Lord's Supper, I just want to, just to fix our attention here on Christ. As in the bread and the cup, we are once again reminded of who Jesus is and who we are in him as we are reminded of his love for us as the bread and the cup remind us of his life, death, and resurrection for us. And they point us to the filling work of the Holy Spirit who is able to make real in our experience what is true of Christ's great love for us. And so Pentecost, what is Pentecost and why does it matter? In Pentecost, we are looking back to Christ sending his spirit on his church and setting off these last days where all of us are filled with the Holy Spirit and where the spirit is at work in each of our hearts, empowering us to make and grow disciples, to become conformed into the image of Christ and to take this mission, to take this gospel to the ends of the world. And as we close, let me pray that we might be aware of this empowering work of the Spirit in our hearts, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank, we thank you that you desire to fill your people. We thank you that at Pentecost, you came upon your church, you filled the disciples then as you fill us now, as you empower us to make and grow disciples. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, Lord, give us the faith to, to believe that you are with us, empowering us. And Lord, give us the grace that we need to live in the good of those truths. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we want to end by fixing our eyes on Jesus, by taking the bread and the cup. And we do this because on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. And he, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. So as you, when you are able, come down the side aisles, grab um, or receive a piece of the bread, grab a cup of the wine or the juice, and come back together and we'll sit and take them together. Thank mm-hmm. you.